Welcome, we're glad you're here. It is now August, which means the summer is halfway over. Teachers in the room, kids in the room, eh, you're right, everyone else is, well actually everyone's bummed the summer's halfway over. But if you're a glass half full, right, it's halfway over. That's a good thing, but anyway. Um, beginning of the summer, uh, my wife and I decided that we needed to teach our two older boys to uh, dive, to dive into the pool. I don't know if you remember the experience that you went through to learn to dive, right? I mean, some people are shaking their heads like they can't dive still, right? Um, everyone can dive. It's not the hardest thing in the world. It's a skill. Really, everyone has the skill to dive in some capacity, but it's all a mental thing, right? It's all confidence and getting over that fear that you are diving into a body of water head first. That's not, you know, kind of natural, but everyone can do it. So our older kid, Zeke, he's, um, he was nine at the time, now he's ten, happy birthday. Um, we taught him to dive, and he, you know, like you do the thing, you put your feet at the edge, and you get your hands ready, right? And you do it, and what happened for Zeke again and again and again, he would just do a belly flop, right? Just flop into the water, and he would realize he didn't do it right, come out, try it again, try it again, try it again. Um, he started getting frustrated with it. Zeke is a kid who, like, doesn't have a world of self-confidence, and can get frustrated when things are hard for him. And so he was frustrated with it, and I pulled him aside, and I was like, Zeke, listen to me. I know you can dive. I know you have the ability to dive. I have seen you play baseball, soccer, basketball. I've seen you do athletic things. You are athletic enough to dive. I know you can do it. You don't know it yet, but you can. You just need to get over that fear, get over that mental thing. You just have to do it, um, which is good advice for someone who's struggling. Just do it, right? <laughs> it's the best I can do. Um, but I believed in him, right? I believe he could do it. Uh, next time, you know, he dove, and he actually did it. And he dove in the pool. He got out of the water. I'm like, see, Zeke, I believe you could do it. Even though you didn't think you could do it, I knew you could. And that's what got him over the hump to be able to dive. Our second kid, Eli, he's only six right now. He has the opposite thing with Zeke. He has a world of self-confidence. He believes in himself like none other. Um, he was in kindergarten baseball, and there is no skill on display in kindergarten baseball, right? But he, uh, he decided to announce, about the third practice in, he decided to announce to all of his teammates and the family who were listening, um, Gavin is the best at hitting, but I am the best at everything else. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think it is, but he believes it, and that's fine. So when it comes to diving, Eli's approach, same as Zeke, right? Come up to the thing, get your hand down, and he just does one of these, right? He just does a... Right? And like... Um, and you know, he does it, he goes in, he comes out of the water, big eyes full of hope. He asks, did I do it? It's like, no. And, you, and I realize he can dive, but just not yet. He's too young. He's too young for that kind of thing. Sometimes what we need in life is someone who can believe in us, whether or not we believe in ourselves, right? I mean, if you've ever had someone in your life who believed in you before you believed in yourself, you know what a game changer that could be. Whether it was when you were a kid and your teacher believed in you, right? Or whether you were in college and you had a professor who said, I really think you should go for this degree. I think you should go for that track, right? Or if you were, had, a, you know, had a job and your boss was like, you should go for that promotion because you're made for that. And you're thinking, gosh, I don't think I have that potential. And your boss is like, no, I believe in you. Or maybe it's just a friend or a family member who knows you well enough to say, I know what you're doing now is fine and it's good, but you're made for more than that. And I believe in you more than that. When someone believes in you like that, when you don't believe in yourself quite yet, I mean, what does that do for you? 
what it does is it opens doors to possibilities that were, that were really not even imagined, right? Um, it gives you a vision for yourself and for your life that maybe you didn't have. And for a lot of us, I know that we doubt ourselves. And someone says, I believe in you, and you think to yourself, I don't, I can't do that. Um, if nothing else, it calls into question the narrative that a lot of us have in our head that we actually can't do anything. Because someone else who you trust, you know, believes in you. It calls into question that narrative that, yeah, I actually can't do anything. We all need someone who believes in us before we believe in ourselves. And when someone who we know well speaks that truth into our lives, you know it could be a game changer. The, um, the It's Personal series, uh, the question that we're asking this morning um, is actually a question that goes right there. It's, do you know what I can do? Because our lives are filled with people who doubt us, who throw shade at us, who don't know us well enough to believe in us, right? What everybody needs is somebody who believes in us before we believe in ourselves. Isn't that just the truth? And here's the thing for us, for those of us here who are trying to follow Jesus with our lives, it's also the case that we need to be that somebody for somebody else. This uh, message this morning is the last in the It's Personal series. It's off a book called It's Personal that is all about kind of the philosophy behind Orange. And um, it's basically about engaging with people on a personal level. When we take a chance as Jesus followers to go beneath the shallow and get personal with people, to find out who they really are, to find out what matters to them, to find out um, what they've done in their life and not run away or not judge them, right? To find out what they live with. What are the baggage that they carry around? And how do they live out of those bags? Once we find that out and connect with them on a personal level, that is where um, life change can happen. That's where relationships are born, that real life change happens, the life change that comes when you come to know and follow Jesus. This sermon is another one in that series, and it kind of wraps up the series. This is the way we need to approach other people, whether we're talking about the kids we teach on Sunday mornings or the middle school, the high school students that we lead during the week, or the people in our community groups, or just our friends, our family, our colleagues, people we work with um, who don't know Jesus, and we want to share Jesus with them. We want to draw people closer to Jesus. That's what, that's what this church is all about. Now, if you're someone who's afraid that this is just going to be a kind of um, motivational speech, self-help, you could do anything you set your mind to, champ, that kind of thing, um, that's not what I'm getting at here. What I'm getting at is following Jesus. What I'm getting at is following Jesus because this is something. Believing in people, speaking that truth into their lives before they even realize it. Speaking their unrealized, unimagined, unmet potential. We will be doing what Jesus did again and again and again and again. If you open the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see story after story of Jesus speaking um, unmet potential, hope, future into people's lives who had none of it. And if you've been here, just, just think about the stories we've covered over the last few weeks, right? Um, there was one, a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was greedy. Um, you know, he, he was hated. He was excluded from God's family because of his profession. And everyone at that time had judged him unworthy, right? Everyone had judged him um, not okay, excluded from the family of God. And uh, Jesus comes along and sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He's trying to see Jesus. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he says to himself, there's a guy I could use. 
I believe in this guy's potential. I believe that he can go from someone who's greedy to someone who's generous. And from someone who's excluded to someone who's included. From someone who has no father in God to someone who is a son of Abraham, a son of God. To someone who is a lost cause to someone who is found. To someone who is saved. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus says. That's just Zacchaeus. Two weeks ago, Rebecca, who just did the thing with the thing, she talked about um, a woman who was caught in adultery. This is a woman who the world had judged is no, worth, is no longer worthy of being alive because of what she has done. They wanted to stone her to death because of that. Jesus comes along and says, I will not judge her according to what she's done. If I forgive her, if I free her from this, I can see a future for her, a potential where she walks free from sin, where she goes and sins no more and lives a different life because of it. Jesus comes along and speaks that unmet potential into her life. Last week, Andy talked about um, a woman who had a bleeding problem. For 12 years, she had a bleeding problem out of the place that a woman doesn't really like to bleed out of. It meant she had no family. She had no husband. She had no future. She was unclean in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the religious community. The entire um, community had judged her unworthy and dirty, to be excluded. She gave everything she had to try to get this fixed. She had no hope. She had no potential. She had no future. And Jesus comes along and changes all of that. Jesus comes along and speaks into her life, you can be healed. You can be whole again. You can be freed from this thing that traps you. You can live the life that uh, I made for you to live. And that's, that's, those are just the three stories we talked about the last three weeks. You think about the other stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see this again and again. And you'll see this in the life of the men who follow Jesus most closely. I mean, Matthew, the guy who wrote Matthew, he was a regular tax collector, just like Zacchaeus, sitting in his tax booth with no future, excluded from community. Jesus comes along and says, I believe in that guy. I'm going to pluck him out of that tax booth. I'm going to make him my follower. And he's going to do something that is going to set the world on fire. He's going to write a gospel called Matthew, and it changed the world, right? Um, there's a guy named Thomas. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples, the original followers of Jesus. We don't talk about Thomas very, not, uh, very much. He's really only famous for two reasons, right? Um, he's the guy, and you might know him for this, he's the guy who doubted Jesus, right? After Jesus dies and is buried and then is raised from the dead, um, Jesus appears to all the disciples except Thomas is, I don't know, he's on a Taco Bell run or something, and he's not there for it. And he comes back and he says, I don't believe it. I don't believe Jesus is alive. I can't believe it, right? As an aside, if you are someone who, who lives with doubt, who struggles with doubt, who has a hard time believing all of this stuff, um, let the story of Jesus and Thomas speak to you. Because for a lot of people, a lot of religious situations, the response that Jesus should have had is, Thomas, you don't believe in me? Well, you're done for. Thomas, you don't believe in me, you're excluded. Thomas, you don't think what I said would happen actually happened? That means that you can't work for me any longer. You have no future as my, as my follower, as uh, part of my mission any longer. That's not what Jesus says to Thomas. What Jesus does for Thomas is he makes a special accommodation for Thomas. He comes and appears to the disciples again at a time where Thomas is there. None of the other disciples got to put their finger uh, in the hole, right, where the nail went in. None of, none of the other disciples got to put their hand into the, into the side where the spear went in. But because that's what Thomas needed, Jesus gets down to Thomas's level and does that for Thomas. 
And he comes to believe, my Lord and my God. Because even though Thomas didn't believe in Jesus, Jesus believed in Thomas. Jesus wanted Thomas to believe in him because Jesus knew there was something more for Thomas than doubt and walking away. The other reason that Thomas is famous, and if you're Indian, you know this. Thomas is the one who historically and traditionally brought Christianity to India. Um, he went from a guy who should have been excluded because he couldn't believe to someone who brings Christianity to a continent, to a subcontinent, right? We see this in the life of Paul. Paul is not one of the original 12, but Paul is a guy, um, he wrote like half of the New Testament, the most important missionary in the history of the church. Paul was a guy who was literally on the way to imprison, round up, and have executed uh, Jesus' followers because he thought it was an evil sect in Judaism, right? Paul is going in the wrong direction. Most people would write that man off. Most people would say, he's going to kill my followers, so I'm going to go and kill him. But not Jesus. Jesus sees a man like Paul and says, look at what this guy's made of. I'm going to turn his life around. I'm going to convert him into someone who is my biggest proponent, my biggest follower, my most important missionary. And he does that. And Paul changes the world. We know about Jesus probably, be, probably because of the work of Paul. The person we see this most clearly, most vividly in, though, is in the Apostle Peter. Um, if, you're, if you've been around for a while, you know I love talking about Peter because Peter is just like us. He struggles with things. He, he sticks his foot in his mouth. He says things he shouldn't have before he should have. Like, Peter is just like you and I. There's a moment um, in the life of Jesus and Peter where, where Jesus clearly tells Peter, here is what I think you can do. Here is what I think you're made for. Um, it happened in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus asks his guys, um, what are people saying about me? What do people think that I am? And they say, some think you're John the Baptist, some think Elijah, some think Jeremiah, some think another prophet. And Jesus says, but what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who is always, always the first to speak, this time Peter actually gets it right. Peter answers, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you nailed it. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Jesus says, you're right. You got it right. And then he kind of turns the conversation. He turns to Peter, looks Peter right in the eyes, and, I say, and says, and I tell you, which if Jesus ever turns to you and one-on-one -on -one says, I tell you, um, it's kind of a little nerve-wracking, right? He says, I tell you, you are Peter. Kind of a strange thing to say. He knows his name, right? He says, you are Peter. Peter was not Simon Peter's original kind of name. It was his name, um, the Gospel of John records that Jesus kind of gave Peter that name. Um, in Aramaic, it's Cephas. In Greek, it's Peter. And what that word means is rock. It's rocky. Jesus gave Peter the name rock. And then he gives them a very clear indication. What he goes on to say about Peter, answering the question, do you know what I can do? Here's Jesus' answer for Peter. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
I don't think we speak English like that anymore, but do you know what I can do? Peter is asking. The world is asking of Peter. Peter doesn't even know yet, but Jesus knows. Jesus says, I'll tell you what you can do. I'll tell you what I can do in you and through you and because of you. I can build my church. I can build my church that will last. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. And do you know that you and I today, sitting in this room in this day, are evidence that it actually went like that? The gates of hell have not prevailed against it because you and I are sitting in this place in this day. Hell has not overcome it yet. When Peter, this illiterate fisherman, was standing there that day, do you think he thought that about himself? Do you think he had that sort of leadership potential? Of course not. But Jesus saw it. And this whole story sounds great, and it sounds smooth sailing, right? But if you know anything about the relationship between Peter and Jesus, you know it wasn't like this. This wasn't an obvious choice, right? He was a fisherman with no skills, no experience whatsoever. But Jesus believed in Peter. Uh, but Jesus knew this was going to be a long-term project. The way the relationship with Peter and Jesus started was um, Jesus was in Peter's house. He healed his mother-in-law which depending on how much you love your mother-in-law, that's a good thing, bad thing, right? Just kidding, love my mother-in-law. There she is. Um, that's how the relationship started. But um, Peter was a fisherman. And one day he had a rough night of fishing. They fished at night because it was cooler. Um, they fished at night. And so Peter uh, caught nothing, comes back to shore. Uh, the nets are empty. They're there cleaning the nets. Jesus rolls along and there's a whole crowd of people wanting to hear Jesus teach. Um, there's no room, so Jesus asks Peter to go in the boat, push off a few feet from shore so he could teach everyone on the shoreline, right? You understand that? So he does that, he teaches the people, they disperse and go home, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, let's go out deeper, let's go fishing. And Peter must be thinking to himself, are you crazy? I'm a professional fisherman and you like know the Bible really well, right? Like, I'm a professional fisherman, I fished all my life, my dad fished all his life, my dad's dad, and so on, right? And you're just a teacher. What do you know about fishing, right? But you healed my mother-in-law. You know, all right, let's go out. They go out, and they go fishing. Um, I forgot this. Peter says to Jesus, uh, Master, we have worked all night, but we have caught nothing. Peter, Peter is here thinking to himself, I've done all that I can do to fish, right? I've worked hard at it. All my guys who were like on my team, we have all worked at it. I have done everything I can to fish, and I can't do it. I've got nothing. I can catch nothing. We've tried all night, but let's give it a shot. And they give it a shot. They throw the nets out, and there is a haul of fish so big that the nets begin to break and uh, their other fishing buddies from another boat need to come and help them out. And when Peter sees this gigantic, um, miraculous catch of fish, he falls down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter, in that moment, realizes that in comparison to Jesus, he is, he is he's unworthy. He's a sinful man. He is nothing. Compared to Jesus, um, He's not worthy to be there. He's, not, he, he's unworthy to be in his presence. He's unworthy to be helped by Jesus. He's unworthy to be working with Jesus. This had to be the same thing Thomas 
felt in his doubt, had to be the same thing Paul felt in his guilt, had to be the same thing that Zacchaeus felt up in that tree. Maybe it's the same thing that you have felt um, when you realize your sin or when you're confronted by your repetitive failure or when your faithlessness comes knocking at the door. Maybe you have felt like that. What we need to realize as followers of Jesus is that a lot of the people who we teach who we lead, who we mentor, who we reach out to, um, to share Jesus, a lot of them are feeling this way too. When we get personal with them, when we get to know what they've done, what the baggage is that they carry, we know that a lot of them feel unworthy. Peter's, I can't fish. I've got nothing. I can't be in your presence. I can't be with you. And Jesus' response, I love it, it's not to minimize what Peter's saying. It's not to say, um, you know, sin isn't a Sin isn't important or something like that. Jesus' response is not, don't worry about it. You're not so bad. Sin doesn't matter anyway. His response is, don't be afraid. I believe in you anyway. His response is to say, I know you're a sinful man. I know you're not worthy. I know this relationship is going to be rocky. But I believe in you and your potential anyway. He says to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. From now on, here is where I see you, Peter, not catching fish, but actually going out and sharing the good news of Jesus with people who need to know it, sharing the faith, drawing others closer. Not, you're a sinner. You're right. I didn't think about that. You can't follow me. Not, you're out of luck with me because of what, you're, you know, because of what you've done here. Not, your past, your baggage, your darkness has disqualified you. Rather, in spite of all of that, in spite of your errors, I believe in you. I could use a guy like you. And if you know Peter's story with Jesus, um, you know he didn't just believe Jesus here and start following like really well, right? After the Rocky episode, um, we see Peter say something really stupid and Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan, right? He has to say like the worst insult possible to get Peter to be quiet, right? That one's going to sting. But Jesus didn't stop believing in Peter, Later, um, there's a moment where Peter and a few of them go up a mountain with Jesus and something called the transfiguration happens and God shines his light on on Jesus and Jesus shines bright and whatnot. And Peter says something really dumb about what they should do with that, right? And um, it's like totally off base and it, it requires God yelling at Peter, saying, this is my son, listen to him. Later, the night that Jesus um, would be arrested, actually. Jesus wants to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray because he is just overcome with grief. And he says to Peter and a few other guys, hey guys, stay awake and watch guard for me because I need to go and pray. So they go and do that. Jesus prays for a bit, comes back, Peter's fast asleep. And Jesus is like, Peter, you couldn't even stay awake for this? And he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll stay awake next time. So he goes, he prays again, comes back. Peter, it's going to get a lot harder than this. Uh, you got to stay awake for me. Goes again three times. Jesus goes to pray three times. um, uh, Jesus goes to pray three times. Peter falls asleep. But Jesus didn't stop believing in Peter. And the most famous of these is Peter's three denials, right? The night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he said, you guys are going to all run away and deny me. And Peter's like, no way, not me. And Jesus kind of looks at him and laughs and says, look, by the time the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter... Peter pretty much laughs in his face and says, not me. I will die before I deny you. And Jesus is kind of like, mm-hmm, we'll see, we'll see, right? 
Um, and you know that story. Jesus gets arrested. He's in the high priest's house, and Peter's following along from the distance. Someone recognizes Peter, and they're like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter's like, no, not me. It happens again. Aren't you one of the people who were following Jesus? No, not me. A third time the rooster crows, Peter realizes that he is a failure, that he has denied Jesus three times, did the exact thing he promised Jesus he would never do, and he runs away into the dark, um, grieving, ashamed, with his tail between his legs, because he had failed Jesus. But Jesus didn't stop believing in him. And the way that we know that Jesus didn't stop believing in Peter is that after Jesus is crucified, dead and buried, he appears to the disciples, and Peter's there. He sees Jesus. He talks with Jesus. And do you know what Peter did? He gave up. He gave up on following Jesus. It's remarkable. He gives up. Um, he goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he did before he followed Jesus because he had to have been thinking, um, I denied this guy. I fell asleep on him. I said stupid things. He has to be done with me. So I got to go back to what I know. I got to go back um, to fishing. What I've done has to have disqualified me from my future. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus again meets Peter where he's at. He goes fishing again. And another uh, miraculous catch of fish, another time Jesus tells Peter how to fish. And there's a conversation where, uh, between Peter and Jesus that's captured in the Gospel of John. And before that conversation, I imagine there had to have been some sort of like um, preceding conversation that I imagine went something like this. This is not in the Bible. This is what I imagine this conversation went like. Like, Jesus says, Peter, how come you stopped following me? You went back to fishing. How come you stopped? And I imagine Peter said something like, Because how could you want me as part of your team, as part of your guys, when you know what I've done, when you know I denied you? How could you want that? I, you said I was going to deny you, and I laughed in your face. I can't follow you anymore. I imagine Jesus saying to him, Peter, I think you missed the point about the forgiveness of sins and death in order to forgive you, that, that kind of thing. And I imagine Peter saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I get that. I get that my sins are forgiven, but there's no way on earth you want me to be someone who fishes for people on your behalf. There's no way on earth you could possibly think, I'm still the rock upon which um, you'll build the church. That's, that's crazy talk. How could you want someone like me, who has failed you so severely, to be someone um, who goes and does something so amazing for the world? And I imagine Jesus is, is saying, Peter, nevertheless, I believe in you. Nevertheless, I think you could do it. Nevertheless, I know that you could do it. But I could see that those three denials and the three times falling asleep um, is really getting in your way. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, this is in the Bible. Peter says, yeah, of course. Of course I love you. You know that. Of course so. And Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs. Stop with the fishing and get about my work. Feed my lambs. Be a shepherd. Take care of my people. Peter's like, okay. And Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, did you not hear me? Of course I love you. 
And Jesus says, all right, then tend my sheep. He says it a third time. Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, I'm either hurt or I'm concerned about your hearing. Did, did that not get resurrected when, when you came? Right? You know that I love you. You know everything. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I know that you feel disqualified because you denied me three times. And so what I'm going to do for you, what you need, is you need to be requalified. So I'm going to recommission you three times. Because Peter, even though I know you don't believe in yourself, I, Jesus, your Lord and your God, I believe in you. I give you the power to do what you can't do without me. And do you know what the next thing that we see in the Bible from Peter, the next thing we see? He is standing up in the church as the leader. He is standing up as the guy who all the other disciples look to. And the very next thing we see after that is him on Pentecost preaching a sermon that's much better than this one. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus on that day. Literally, Jesus is building his church because of, because of this man. There's no way Peter thought that about himself when he started following Jesus. But Jesus believed in him. And Jesus has that power to work through him. Do you know what I can do? You might not, but Jesus does. Jesus did. Just like you need someone to speak that into your life, you need to be someone who can speak that into someone else's life. And so for us to follow this path that Jesus has set before us, we need to be people who could believe in others before they even believe in themselves, like he did for Peter and Paul and Thomas and Matthew and Zacchaeus and that woman and this woman. And so for us to do that, the very first thing that we need is we need to have experienced this for ourselves. We need to have experienced Jesus speaking his truth into our lives as well. Peter experienced it so he could go and do it. Paul experienced it so he could go and do it. Have you experienced this? In spite of your doubt, your greed, like Zacchaeus, your sin, like Peter, going in the wrong direction, like Paul, in spite of your faithlessness, Jesus doesn't give up on you. He believes in you. He has made you his son. He has made you his daughter. He has created you for good works, which he prepared to be your way of life. You remember from Philippians, he who began a good work and you will see it to completion. You, like Peter, might have given up on yourself. You might have given up because you believe Jesus has given up on you, but he has not given up on you. He has not, because he believes in you. He knows what you can do. And to be honest, he died to free you from the things that prevented you from doing what you can do. That's why he died, to set you free from those things. He died for sin so that that woman could be freed from sin, right? He died to sin so that Peter could be free from the way he denied Jesus. He died to set you free from the things that trip you up, from the pitfalls, from the sabotage. That's the first thing. We need to experience this if we're going to be these kind of people. The second thing we need to be people who can believe in others before they even believe in themselves is that we have to realize that the same traps that exist in our lives, they exist in other people's lives too. The people who we work uh, with, the people who we teach, the people who we lead, they have these same kind of traps. Um, the book, It's Personal, kind of lists a few of these traps. And I think they're really um, 
illuminating. The first is just self-destructive habits. The things that people do to make themselves stuck. This is self-sabotage, right? They lean too heavily on alcohol to get through life. Lean uh, on drugs to get through life. Lean too heavy on TV and shopping and distractions to get through life. People who get stuck in these traps and can't ever find their way out. If you know someone who suffered through addictions, you know exactly what that's like. The second trap is overwhelming emotions. People who get stuck in a negative spin in life as if there is no way out. People who get stuck in the quicksand of guilt or um, drown in the sea of anxiety or fear or shame as if there's no hope. People who, um, who can't respond to the world when there's stress or when there's negative feedback or criticism. I bet you know people who are like that. Maybe you're like that, right? If they could only get a handle on what feels unhandleable, the sky's the limit for those people. And the third is just overwhelming circumstances. Things that you have no chance against. Things like generational poverty. Things like systemic oppression. Disease, despair, um, disorder that's passed down from generation to generation. You have no chance against it because it's just part of your blood. I mean, think about the families and the survivors in El Paso and in Dayton. They have to live through that experience. Live with overwhelming um, circumstances. There is brokenness and darkness thrust upon people who are defenseless against it until it's too late, like in the case of abuse. Broken families, broken marriages, broken relationships, a broken world that traps people in brokenness. It's impossible to overestimate the impact of these things. And I know we know people like this. I know we are people like this. And the list goes on. Guilt, like Zacchaeus, that causes isolation. and Failure, like Peter, that causes you to give up. Going the wrong way, like Paul. We all know people who are like this. I mean, think about the person in your sphere who you would love to influence um, to draw them closer to Jesus. Think about the person who you would love to be able to share um, the goodness of God with, to shed light on them. How are they trapped like this? They're probably thinking that um, in their deepest and darkest of hearts that there is no real future. for There's no real potential here. There's no hope of it getting better. What they need is someone like you to come alongside them and give them hope, just like Jesus does for Peter and Paul and Zacchaeus and Thomas and Matthew and the women and all the rest. What they need is for you to remind them with your friendship, with your words, with your care, with your compassion, with your service, with your love. Remind them that I know it feels like everything you've touched falls apart, but I promise you it won't be like that forever. You can do good again. You can do that. Remind them. It feels like no one is ever going to love you again. You're not going to love anyone else again because of what you've done or what's been done to you. But you can love and you can be loved. You can do that. Remind them that though it feels like you'll never be able to actually change and you're stuck in this trap forever, you are not stuck in this trap forever. You are not stuck there. You can change. You could do that because God can do that in you. God will work in you and transform you. He doesn't always change our circumstances, but he changes us in our circumstances. Remind them that because of who God is, there is hope for you. Remind them that though it seems like you'll never get out of it, you'll be trapped forever. Remind them that the God that we follow and worship is a God of resurrection from the dead, a God of transformation, a God of new life, of hope, of renewal, of redemption.
And so the question that we need to speak uh, light into people's life with is, do you know what I can do? But the better question that people need answered for them first is, do you know what Jesus can do? Do you know what Jesus can do in your life? When you're able, as a Jesus follower, to take the risk to go below the shallow and to get personal with people, to connect with them, to get to know who they are, to get to know um, what they've done and not run away from them, to get to know what bags they carry, what they live with. When you can speak um, that truth into your life, you give them a chance to see what he can actually do for them. That's what we're called to do for our kids, right? For our middle school or high school students, for the people who are sitting next to you, for the people who we work with and who we live next to and who we're friends with. That's those are, that's what we are called to be in this world. Listen, anyone can show up. You can go to a school assembly, and someone up there with a big smile will tell you, I believe in you, right? You could do anything that you set your mind to, right? We know that doesn't matter. But when someone knows you personally, who you are, what matters to you, what you've done, what you live with, and still says to you, I believe in you, that's what moves the needle. That's what changes lives. That's what... Um, that's where Jesus brings transformation. That's what changes their course. And so this morning um, and from this series, the challenge that I want to I give to you is go and do that for others. Go and follow Jesus like that, not just for yourself, but for someone else. Go and bring that light to people who have none, who bring hope to people who have none. Bring um, potential to people who are stuck in prisons and traps that there's no way for them to ever think they could get out of. Speak truth into their lives, that God is a God of resurrection, of transformation, of redemption. You can change their life just like it did for Peter and Paul and Thomas and Zacchaeus and Matthew and this woman and that woman. And hopefully, he's done it for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of transformation you are a God that loves us. You are a God who pours out your spirit onto us, into us, to, to change us, to transform us, to make us what we can't be on our own. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would pour your spirit out onto this community, onto the hearts and the minds of the people who are sitting in this room listening or who are, who are listening somewhere else. We, we pray, Lord God, that you would pour your spirit out onto them so that we could be a people who step out of this place into the world around and bring the hope of Jesus. We pray, God, that you would equip us for that, that you would challenge us for that, that you would make us not sit still in our faith, but um, unnerve us so that we go and do that, that we be your people who are following like that. Lord, we uh, thank you for the way that you speak to us, for the way that your word speaks to us, for the way that through the lives of the people, the men and the women who, who followed you, we can find hope, we can find truth, we can find life. We pray that you would speak that into our lives now. Be with us um, as we continue to sing, as we praise you. Make it so that if we set our eyes on you, we have faith in you, and we will go on from here safely, and we can trust in you like that. We, we lift... You up, Jesus, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.